met the road for them. Uh, and, and this happened a lot to, to Paul uh, in, in many of his travels. But he had the opportunity to not just say, here's what I believe. But when the test came and the fire came and there was persecution and he was beaten and been in prison, he found really what he really believed, what is theology, him and Silas both. Until that point, it's all theoretical. Uh, but when midnight comes, you quickly discover the difference between what you, what you think and what you really believe. Uh, and it's really easy, especially when, when we're young and we're new Christians or just young in general, to feel like you've got all the answers, that you have all the head knowledge, uh, that you know uh, that nothing is impossible and, and that it's good to have that fiery zeal, and that's a very good thing. But until you've actually been able to put shoes on it, until your, your feet have hit the pavement, it, it's, it's really easy to talk about, but you haven't really experienced. You have that head knowledge, but it really hasn't become heart knowledge just yet. You know, in some of these things that we go through, our midnights, you know, the various dark times that we go through in our lives. And uh, if we had to look at Paul, we, we could say, you know, as far as somebody with zeal and all the head knowledge, Paul was that type of a man. And, uh, you know, before he became a Christian, he was a zealous, very passionate, and at the time persecuting the church. And it was inevitable, maybe, you know, that when, when Christ came and met him on the road to Damascus, that he would be the same kind of a person, that, that zealous, fiery, passionate individual. But now he had a purpose and a direction to, to focus it in the right way. And he was equally zealous for Christ after that. And uh, we know that really armed with nothing but the gospel, he embarked on, on probably uh, one of the greatest missionary journeys, if not the greatest, you know, uh, in, in church history, you know, through Greece and Turkey and, and eventually into Rome. It was the capital of the empire at the time where, where he would meet his death. And, uh, and he single-mindedly, wherever he went, proceeded to preach the Christ where, wherever his name had not been preached so that those who had never heard him might, might come to saving faith. And it wasn't an easy road. In, um, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, Paul lists some of the hardships that he had gone through and uh, in talking about people that had, had come against him and said, well, Paul doesn't, Paul's not it. You know, he thinks he's great, but he's not. And, and he says, are they servants of Christ? And he's like, I speak as if insane. I more so, you know, in labor, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the, Jew 39, the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods, once in this, this case in Acts. Um, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, dangers among false brethren. And I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And I think, you know, when he, he mentions there being imprisoned frequently, I, I think maybe you know we don't know this for sure but i like to think that maybe there's a favorite imprisonment he you know he had in mind if, if you can have such a thing and uh, and i think it's here in, in act 16. and it tells us that you know he was he was in trouble because he had come to the area and there was this this slave girl who had a, a spirit of divination and she would go around fortune telling and her masters would make money off of her and she followed them around pestering them for a few days until paul cast the spirit out and the masters were very angry because there goes their money and they get them in trouble and they get them uh, uh, you know uh, they were arrested beaten thrown into jail 
and put under close guard and, and placed in the inner cell, the very middle part of the prison, with their feet in stocks. So they were very, very, very sure that they weren't going to let these guys go anywhere. And uh, you want to talk about getting exposure, you know, and experience on the, the real road of the journey of what it's like to follow Christ firsthand, you know, where, where it really puts your, your test to the faith. So what do you do, you know, if you were the one that had been arrested and beaten and imprisoned and, and placed under guard in jail and your feet in stocks for, for doing nothing more than what God told you to do, for preaching the gospel of, of the Lord and, and doing what he told you to do. And uh, if you're Paul and Silas and it's midnight, it's the darkest moment of, of your life, um, you start praying and sang, singing hymns. In Acts 16, 25, it says, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. You know, there it says they were listening to him. It doesn't, there's no record that exists of whether or not either one of these guys was musically inclined. We don't know that it was good singing. And, uh, and I imagine if you'd spent all day being hauled around and beaten and, and locked up, you probably, your singing voice probably wouldn't be there either. But, you know, everybody's listening, the jailers and the, and the prisoners alike, um, I'm sure. And, um, you know, nothing better to do. They're listening to these men pray and sing hymns. And so that's what they did when they met their, their darkest moment, their midnight. So what do you do, you know, when it's your midnight? And the answer is, it all really depends on your theology. What is it that uh, you really believe in? And a lot of times in life, we don't really discover that until it's our midnight, until we've hit our darkest point and you see, okay, here's the core of what I believe. And in that lonely moment, you discover your theology. You find out what you really believe. And uh, life, life in a real hurry will quickly sort out everything that you've just been saying versus everything that you really hold in the core of your faith. Uh, I ran across, across this quote from a, a man named Major Ian Thomas, and he was the founder of, of Torchbearers International. And there was a saying that he really took with him that, that he lived his life by that really impacted his walk. And, and uh, this is the saying that, that he lived by, and, and it was, go where you're sent, stay where you're put, and give what you've got. So go where you're sent, stay where you're put, and give what you've got. And I don't think there's really many more examples probably better of, of a person that lived their life this way than Paul. Um, so let's look at it. So go where you're sent. And in a lot of cases, this doesn't just apply to a, a geographical location, but in many cases, that's, that's how it is. Um, Abraham was called by God to leave his home family in, in the land of Ur and, and to go to a place, you know, hey, you're going to go somewhere else and I'm going to give it to you as an inheritance. And uh, he didn't know. He'd never been. He said, okay, and by faith he left. Um, you know, God called his people out of Egypt through Moses. He, you know, Moses was, was told, hey, go, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And God called them out, gave them the land of Canaan. Um, you know, more recent history, Phil and Chris were called to Richmond, Missouri. I think they thought it was Richmond, Kansas at first, but it wasn't. It was Richmond, Missouri. And, uh, you know, God definitely pa called Paul from place to place all throughout the, you know, the New Testament and Acts and, and to preach the gospel, winning, winning men and women to Christ and establishing churches in many places that had no church, that hadn't heard the gospel. And uh, Paul's one great calling was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, you know, wherever he happened to be, that was completely dependent upon God. He knew his goal, God would tell him where to go. And that's why, I think, because he was so in tune with being led where, wherever God would have him to go, 
where he didn't seem like he was thrown for a loop at all ending up in prison. He lived his life knowing wherever he was, he was following God. And if God said, in prison you go, he wasn't the least bit surprised by it. You know, um, if, you, uh, if you think about it, most of the places where he went, something, in a lot of cases, something really bad happened to him. You know, there was, there was, I remember a story where they were coming to kill him and they had to lower him out of the window, you know, out of the walls of the city in a basket to, to get him to escape so he didn't lose his life. A lot of places he went. But he didn't judge knowing where he was supposed to be by the bad things that happened to him. He judged it by following what Christ led him to do. Um, so there's, there's nothing easy, you know, in the case of Paul about being accused of disturbing the peace, arrested, it, you know, it's not fun to be beaten and thrown in, in jail and, uh, you know, alongside men who really are criminals in, in most cases. And, and having your legs in stocks, I mean, that's not a comfortable way to be. You know, you're not going to lay down. You're not going to get a good night's sleep. You're uncomfortable. It's probably, you know, I, I, I really doubt they have any nice, you know, comfortable mattresses in there. You're just, it's not built for comfort. And what would we do, you know, in that situation? Steal the keys? That's, I forget who it was who mentioned that. You know, you're not going anywhere. What do you do? So it all depends on your theology and what you believe. And if you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, and, and that means that God has everything within his control, that he's really the one in charge, you're going to be bitter. You're probably going to be angry. You're going to be uh, discouraged and depressed. You know, you're, you're going to feel like I'm not in the right place. I did something wrong. You know, why am I, why am I even here? If you don't believe in a God who, as Matthew says, numbers the hairs on your head. And, and you may think that something, you know, terrible has happened completely out of your control and God's control. If your theology and your belief is not that God knows where you are, that he has a plan for where you are, and that he's got his hand on everything. But if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then you know that nothing happens to you by an accident. God has this under control. And if you really have that core belief, your reaction is going to be very different. Um, and in the case of Paul and Silas, you pray and you sing hymns to the middle of the night. In that phrase, go where you were sent, the main key of that, that, word, that phrase there is sent. Sent means somebody else is giving the orders. It means that in every situation of life, God's at work. He's leading you on from, from where you are at this moment to where you are supposed to be next. And many times, you know, we're not going to be able to make sense of it at all. You're not going to be able to say, this is, we know what God's doing here. Here's where, what his hand is doing. And you may not even see any purpose in it, but that doesn't mean there's any pur there isn't any purpose. We know that God always has purpose in what he does. And that's the true meaning of go where you are sent. It means that even though it's probably not in your plan, you're not the one writing the script, you go wherever he leads you, singing and praying and testifying to the goodness of God. And the second part, so we looked at go where you're sent and then stay where you are put, you know, and, and emphasis again on the word put, this doesn't mean just stay where you are, but if God puts you in a place and it's uncomfortable, don't be itching and fighting to get out of it. This is where God wants you to be. This just means that you serve the Lord wherever you happen to be, even if it might be in the middle of a, of a jail with your legs in stocks. Serve him wherever he puts you. And that's why Paul and Silas were singing at midnight. They knew that God had sent them to the jail for whatever purpose they didn't know. But while they were there, they were going to serve him. They were going to praise him and they were going to pray. And they ended up 
give, bear, be, being a, a, a witness for God. They were bearing witness to the goodness of God in their situation to all the prisoners around them. And as they, as they sang and the prisoners listened, they did not have any idea. And we know reading the story, it's just a couple of verses. We know that the earthquake comes and shakes the door opens. They had no idea that was going to happen. For all they knew, they were going to be there for, for days, weeks, months, years. They didn't know. They had no idea. They weren't praying from and singing hymns because they knew God was going to come and free them, um, you know, open the doors to the jail that very night. They prayed because they knew God was good and that he had a plan. They did what God wanted them to do regardless of where they were. They simply bore witness to the goodness of God in a very difficult situation. And that's God's call to everybody, not just them, but to you and me and everyone. Stay where you're put doesn't just mean, okay, well, we're, gonna, we're just going to passively accept whatever bad happens to us and, and just kind of lay down and take it. Sure, it means sometimes God puts you in a bad situation because he wants you to improve it. But it does mean that you recognize that God has a purpose wherever he puts you, and you're going to follow him wherever that is and, and not fight and scratch and claw your way to, to change and go somewhere where he hasn't put you. If he says be there, that's where you need to be. So if you go where you're sent and you stay where you're put, the third part of this is you've got to give what you've got. You know, and evidently Paul and Silas weren't just sitting there trying to be quiet, and not raise any trouble in the jail. They prayed and they sang loud enough that really everyone in the jail could hear them. And I'm sure that, you know, if you were a guy that was in the slammer for some petty theft or whatever, and you heard a group of guys down the, the corridor just singing and praising and, and giving thanks to God, you'd be a little confused as to, why you'd have a couple of guys beaten and thrown in jail and put in stocks that happy about their situation. And uh, you'd be confused. And, you know, you'd be confused if you didn't share in that belief. But Paul and Silas, their core of their faith, they discovered their theology there at that midnight, that midnight hour and what they truly believed and carried it with them through the darkness and it gave light to others around them. They gave what they had. So, and there's a phrase, you know, you'll see it in the Old Testament, a lot of stories. And especially usually when God calls someone to a special task and that person says, here I am. And it means here I am, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to serve. What do you want me to do? What can I do for you? You know, it's, it's what a servant says to a master, here I am. It's what a, a little boy says to his father when he's called, here I am. And it's what believers say to the Lord God, here I am. What do you want me to do? Abraham said it back in Genesis when God called him. Uh, Jacob also said it as well when God called him. He said, here I am. Uh, Moses, Moses said it when God called him. He said, here I am. And uh, many other believers throughout the Bible, when God calls, that's the answer. Here I am. What do you want? It's really easy when God calls, you know, to, to make all the excuses we can. And even in some of these people like Moses, for instance. Oh, you've got to send somebody else. You're going to send me to Pharaoh. I'm not a good talker. I'm, I'm not the guy for the job. You're going to have to get somebody else to go. And it's easy for us to do. But a lot of our cases are, you know, not just the not me Lord like Moses, but, you know, uh, I'm busy. And that's, that's the biggest one is I've got too much on my plate. You know, I'm sure maybe you're calling me to do something, but I don't have the time for it. Or, you know, maybe I'm happy right where I am. We gauge where we think we're supposed to be by how happy we are. Maybe God's calling you to a place where you're not going to be as happy. And uh, for all of us, the issue 
is really uh, about our response. You know, it's okay to be happy where you are. It's okay to realize that you're going to be suffering where God's going to put you. But the issue, you can't really control what's going to make you happy or not happy, but you can control what your response is. And a lot of, a lot of these cases, you know, where God ends up putting us, you don't have a little, the slightest bit of control in that. You know, this is something that uh, you're, you're like a leaf in a stream being swept along, and you're going to be in places that you didn't get to make the call on, which is good, because in a lot of cases, we're not going to make the decision to go somewhere that, that leads to our growth. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. Um, but in moments like these, God uses these to discover our theology, our belief, our core faith. What is it we really believe in these instances? So knowing what we know about Paul and what we read about him in the Bible, it's not surprising at all that, that Paul and Silas were singing in prison. That's the kind of life he lived. Um, and if you think about it, some of God's best works get done in prison. Some of the best epistles, you know, in the New Testament were written by Paul in prison. Some of the, the great writers, uh, John Bunyan's one off the top of my head, you know, that wrote uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress is a good theological story. He was written in prison. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has letters during World War II uh, that before he was uh, killed, but he was written from prison, and that's how we know about him. Some of God's best work get done, gets done in prisons, and uh, some of the great church leaders were refined and are blessing to us now because of, of, you know, being stuck in prison. Now, we don't know what Paul and Silas prayed for at, at that midnight. We, we just know that they prayed and they sung. But if you read uh, one of Paul's other letters in 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17, uh, there's a prayer he prays there that, that maybe has a clue at least what his heart might be. And it says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. So, uh, you know, that truth there, that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily answer all of your questions as to why you might be in a particular place. But if God is the one who is comforting and strengthening you, it does give you a framework for, you know, the core, the support for that core belief of that faith in him. You know, the answer that that'll prove true and strong in the worst moments of life. You know, so when, when tragedy strikes and your life caves in and your, your plans are all dashed on the rocks of reality and you find yourself in a place you never wanted to be, this is what you can hold on to. This is the core faith that you, this is the theology that you need, the faith that you need to hold on to, is that God is the one that comforts and strengthens and he has a plan for where you're at. Until that moment, until you're really tested, it's all just, it's just head knowledge. It's all just, it's theory, it's, it's theoretical, but you don't really put shoes on it. It doesn't really mean anything until you have that moment, that, that midnight, and you realize what is real. Because anyone can sing to the Lord when it's good. That's easy. Um, you know, when life is good and you've got money in the bank and your marriage is strong and your kids aren't sick, they're doing well, and, and you're happy with your job and you love your church and and uh, all of these things, all is right in the world, that's easy to sing. But if it's not the case, if those things aren't going for you, with Paul and Silas, you can do the same thing. You can sing, you can praise, and you can pray. If you can do that, then you know that what you have is real. Not just theoretical, not just head knowledge, but what you have is real. So not only will you discover what you believe in times of trouble, 
But we also learn from the story that's when the world discovers what you believe. Either God is enough or he isn't, you know. Either uh, Jesus is more precious than life or, or he isn't. And in this moment, not only did Paul and Silas get to reinforce what they believed, but everyone around them as well got to see that light. The truth always comes out in those moments. You know, and that led to the salvation of the jailer and his entire, his entire family. You know, and, and even in that moment, if, you know, we, we talk about the doors being opened by the earthquake and everything, uh, and they didn't escape, but it wasn't just that. If you, if you continue to read the story, sure, the jailer took them home, bandaged their wounds, fed them, cleaned them, and then he put them back in jail because the next morning, it says they showed up there to, to let them out. You know, and they did not, you know, they, it wasn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. That, that, those doors opening didn't mean that they were out of their situation. They were still there because God still had a plan for it. But in that moment, God just didn't prove to them what they believed. He showed everybody else and led salvation to at least that one man and his entire family. Not to speak of, you know, any of the other prisoners. So in those moments, the truth comes out. And in those moments when you rest on the God of the universe, and if you cry out to Jesus and really discover that he is there after all, and, and uh, not just that he was, he's there, but he was there all along and never left you. So everything that he says turns out to be true. And the people who know and who watch you know that you really believe what you believe. Then that's the difference that Jesus is wanting to see come through you. And that's the difference that Jesus makes in your life, you know, and that's when the people around you see what you have and they want what you want. So how do we think about this? You know, what, what are your midnight moments? What are, maybe you've already been through them. Maybe you've got them coming. Maybe you're there right now. The question isn't so much, okay, what's going on? Why am I here? And how soon do I get out? But the, the answer that God's looking for is what our response is. What do you do in those moments? Where is that core of faith when you need it? Is it really there? Who, who are you really in Christ when you are at your midnight? Are you there now? What's been your response? Are you shining God's light to others around you and singing and praising, you know, in our own way? Are we depressed and just sitting in, in the muck and mire and crying about it? God has you there for a reason. We don't know necessarily what that reason is, but while you're there, serve him. Praise him and be a light to the others. That's what God asked for us in our midnight. When it's the darkest, and we don't know maybe if we'll ever see light again. That's what God asked for us. So let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you so much that you are the God that is with us no matter what. In the darkest dungeon or on the highest mountain, you are there. And you're not there, just there with us, you are there for us. We thank you and praise you that you are the, not just the God, but our Father that loves us and that wants the best for us. And we thank you that you are the great architect that knows everything that you want to happen and the way to get it done that you lead us where we are the most effective and we thank you that you strengthen our hands to be a light and a witness and a servant for you. Lord, we ask and pray that you just strengthen us and comfort us in those times. Give us hearts that really deep down when the worst comes up and it's the darkest moments of our lives that we know more clearly then than ever who you are and who you mean to us and help us to shine that to those around us that they may see what we have and want what we have. 
So when their darkest moments come too, there they'll find you where you've always been. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that it is that you've done for us. That we can even speak about you in this way that, that you are there for us. And we know that if you are for us, nothing can be against us. We thank you for the gift that your son came to give to us, to this earth, being sacrificed to death on the cross, to forgive us of these sins, to repair this relationship with you, that we may be a part of your kingdom and able to act for you and serve you. We thank you so much for every gift that you've given us. And yes, thank you, thank you for leading us out of the dark times, but also in a way, Lord, thank you for leading us into the dark times. Because those are the times when we learn about you about what we believe and that we're strengthened and grown. Lord, we ask that you be with us this week in everything that we go through. Help us to keep our eyes and our hearts on you and our feet following you wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.